0: Hello again, everybody. It's time for the Mainland Podcast. I think we're up to uh, what are we up to? Do you know? Does anybody know what episode 44? we're up to? Forty-five. It's <sighs> very close. Very close, Andrew. I took a week off, I'm Michael so I'm, Citro. I'm, I'm getting, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You're one off. Uh, Michael Citro, the managing editor of the mainland.com, and uh, I'm here with Andrew Harrison and Daniel McGann. Guys, how you doing tonight?
1: Well, we had a good. You know, I, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Okay, that's good.
2: I I would have been better if uh, Friday had gone better, but still.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, you know, we're going to get into that. Uh, The, you know, Orlando City goes into Philadelphia, a first-place battle, just like everyone knew it would be, Philadelphia against Orlando City. Everybody predicted that would be a first-place battle when the season began. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And Orlando City missing four players, uh, obviously, Breck Shea was suspended uh, for his yellow card being elevated to a red card. Uh, we knew he was going to be out. We knew that Kyle Laren was going to sit, and we knew that uh, Tommy Redding would be out with an injury, a concussion. And we didn't know is the guy who made the trip was not going to play, and that was Christian Noguita who uh, has a groin injury. So right away, you're you're talking about a you know going on the road on a, a short week without four starters. And it was always going to be a difficult game because Philadelphia's been playing some good, some good soccer this year. And, um, you know, Orlando City got some chances. And uh, they, uh, they were very wasteful with their chances for the most part, uh, except for one guy who had all the uh, shots on goal. And, um, you know, so it, it starts off even worse. Two minutes into the game, Rafael Ramos with uh, a howler of a mistake uh, gives uh, C.J. Sapong a goal on a silver platter. Or a golden platter, or a platinum platter, maybe all of the platters, and uh, it's one nothing two minutes in. But I thought Orlando City did a good job of responding. Um, get, you know, like I said, playing that road game, trying to wait and look for their opportunities without getting stretched. And you know, they they decided to go with Kaká as a false nine because Pedro Ribeiro is out with a back injury, and Brian Rochez is at Orlando City B trying to get to full match fitness. And uh, Julia Baptista was not ready yet to uh, to come on and, and be a starter. So it was 1-1, and in the 90th minute, uh, disaster struck in the form of a Tranquilo Barnetta free kick, which we'll get more into in a moment. Uh, but Orlando City uh, then went down 2-1, had an, uh, an awesome opportunity off a of Carlos Rivas cross to Adrian Venter to uh, try to tie it again in the next uh, in-stoppage in time, and uh, Andre Blake made a phenomenal save, and uh, Orlando City, for the first time this year, comes home without any points after the game. So, 2 uh, 1, first loss of the season. Guys, we're not going to go undefeated this year. Oh, no. <laughs> the world is falling. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to start with you, Andrew. Thoughts on the match overall?
2: I think kind of everything you already said. It looked like a team missing four starters that was on a short week that had played really well against the Portland Timbers team. They just look, they looked like the travel team and it was really hard. But I think the one thing I took away from this, which I hadn't really learned yet was that this team doesn't have the depth that we expected. Uh, the, the gulf in class between the bench players and our starters is just noticeable. Um, we were playing an improved Philadelphia side, but they still had everybody and we didn't. And we just looked tired. We looked out of ideas and we looked like we were basically playing a 6-4-0 where there was no spark up front. There was just we somehow we had six people playing in midfield and we still weren't able to compact them out of the game. Um it wasn't many positives from me for it, other than I'm sure the guy we will get into later on is Adrian Vinter. He just looked like he was having a strong, strong performance, and really such a strong start to the season already as well.
0: Uh, Daniel, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to you and ask. You know, did you think the team played poorly, or do you think they played a more of a, a strategically laid-back uh, road contest, sort of like almost like they did at, at New York City FC? Uh, with the intention of trying to hit a few on the counter and, and maybe uh, take a take you know get a couple of goals and and getting out of there with a win. Obviously the you know you can say what you want to about the guys who were missing, but I mean you, you look at the class of a Kyle Laren and the class of a Christian Gita, and those are those are pretty substantial losses. Breck Shea as well. Um, I didn't think that I, I will disagree with Andrew in, in – that it shows that we don't have as much depth as we thought. I thought the depth was fine, but I don't, I I certainly don't think Antonio Nocherino is ready uh, to play 90 minutes and, uh, or even 60 really. (laughs) And uh, he is definitely not yet integrated with the team. Uh, He was a problem. Uh, Rafael Ramos had a, had a bad game, but I thought overall, I didn't think that as a team that, that, that Orlando city played poorly. I think that they went in with a strategy and it, was working, I think, until they sort of ran out of gas around the 70th minute or so. Yeah,
1: I'll, I'll, I'll talk to two uh, of those specific things. I think number one is that it wasn't necessarily depth uh, is a problem with Orlando. I mean, the type of players that you have coming in. Luke Bowden played well for us last year. He's coming in for Breck Shea. Uh, Torino should have been able to hold his own, right? And then we're talking about really Venter and, and Carrasco. Uh, and Venter's been starting for us mainly the the whole season, and Carrasco's been playing a lot of minutes. So the depth wasn't the issue. It was the holes that Nocherino and Ramos left available for Philadelphia uh, throughout the entire match, and Notorino passing under a 70% clip is not a good thing, and you're, you're definitely right. on. He doesn't look like he's, uh, he's in form at all. He hasn't meshed with any of the players. He's not quite sure where they're going or where he's going to be, um, and that's going to take time, so it's just early. Uh, that first point is it's early. Let these guys get time to gel. Um, when you're in a starting 11 and you're practicing with these guys day in and day out, they've gelled on the pitch. And uh, when you have to come in off the bench, um, it looks like they weren't ready to do that. And uh, hopefully later in the season, the depth will show that. And they are ready to do that. And I think we'll have a different conversation. Uh, then in number two, we, we didn't have a sub come in until the 90th minute. We're playing right. away and we're trying to play for at least a point. Um, And it's not like we were playing behind. And around that 70th minute mark, you you saw uh, there was everyone was a bit gassed. And you have Carlos Rivas sitting over there who could really push Philadelphia's back line. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, And you could have put that speed up top, dropped Kaká. I don't know why that move was not made. And I think that was a glaring mistake. Uh, on Heath's point, I'm not quite sure what he was thinking there. If he was just trying to bunker in and, and get away with a point, but the way Philadelphia was playing, it looked like we needed to have the type of speed to counter. And I, I was really hoping we would have saw Rivas uh, come in a lot earlier, but uh, ended up not happening. And and then boom, uh, the free kick. So that's 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 what happened.
0: Yeah, I'm, you know, and I def- definitely want to get into the subs uh, thing a bit. Um, you know, Adrian said after the game that. You know, he didn't want to change the shape by putting putting in those guys earlier. And I don't think he necessarily needed to change the shape. Mm-hmm. Now, my point is, Baptista was was deemed ready enough to take on the trip, ready enough to dress in the 18. Surely you don't do that unless you think you can get 15 or 20 minutes out of a player. Um, and if he's, a, if he's playing up top as a striker, he's not going to hurt you on the defensive end, really. So... You know, Andrew, what did you think of, of them not unleashing the beast a little earlier? And then secondly, we've seen very, very little of Carlos Rivas this year. But what we've seen, I've been very, very impressed by. And yet, it doesn't seem that there's a trust level on on, um, on Rivas' part from uh, from Adrian Heath at this point.
2: Well, and I think uh, I'm going to kind of reinforce my own point. I, I, You've kind of twisted me a little bit of moving away from it's not a depth issue. But I think really what we're kind of highlighting there was... We have Julio Baptista. Like you say, he dresses for the 18. And we needed that help. You could see Nocherino was completely gassed. It's where he was Mm -hmm. pretty much broken down by the NYC game, which is why I think he he went off hurt, really, was because he pushed himself too far. He looks like a guy who hasn't played six months. But then we also have that in Baptista. He's kind of the same situation. He hasn't been playing that regularly. He's Mm -hmm. still really... He's a big guy. There's a lot of fitness to get right there. Um, But I I still can't fathom why you just don't take a player out who's basically, he might as well have been sent off for how much use he was. Um, He just, he didn't have the passing. He didn't have the vision. And then you do have those people on the bench. You at least want to keep 11 guys on the field that can participate in some way. And I think he would have still been able to have bullied some of Philadelphia around and maybe give us that space that we were missing in the middle of the park, despite of how deep we seem to be playing all the time. And then Rivas is just an, it seems unfathomable why you wouldn't want to unleash his speed, whether or not he's capable of scoring is another question,
3: but whether (laughs) or not
2: you don't want to unleash his speed on a team that is also tired just as much as we are. He just needs to make one run. And even if he just, hits it on frame and bounces around, somebody may be able to knock it in. I just I don't get it other than the fact that Heath is maybe he's trying to prove a point when I and I'm gonna come back to depth here saying that his bench doesn't give the depth that he needed, which is why he kind of took a stand and didn't make any substitutions until he was behind.
0: Well, you know, I'm not a manager in the MLS. Or in MLS, sorry. I owe a dollar to the swear jar. Um, I'm not a manager. I've never been a manager. Uh, I haven't played organized soccer since I was a little kid. But it seems to me, if you're playing on five days rest, on the road, in bad weather, there was a cold night, yeah. something you're not used to. And you can definitely see Notcherino gassed. You can definitely see Kevin Molino, who I thought played a very good game, especially uh, getting back and helping defensively. I, I thought that Kevin Molino was gassed. Kaká, to a lesser extent, Ramos, Saren. They looked pretty tired. Bowden looked tired. Um, why do you not put somebody in? Is beyond me. I'm, not, I'm again. I'm not a manager. I'm not saying that what Heath did was. You know, I guess it, it is our job a little bit to second guess him. And I, I think at this point, I, I would have to say that um, I'm not alone in thinking that that decision making uh, possibly prevented. You know the team from holding on just a little bit longer. They only, I mean, they really started to get outplayed about the 75th minute. Uh, after shortly after uh, uh, the subs sort of got on and got warmed up for for Philadelphia. I thought that Barnetta and uh, Alberg, I think it is, I forget the the the, the, the second sub that came on uh, with him, uh, both came on and they both had an impact in the game. If you looked at the first part of the game. You know, the the wide players for Philadelphia weren't having the impact that I think Jim Curtin wanted them to have. I mean, Sebastian Latou and, the, and those guys I, I don't think were as effective as they wanted to, and you you sort of heard the announcers talking about that a little bit. Once the subs came on in the second half, Philly changed the shape a little bit, they, they started to get some traction. But also that was when Orlando City was getting tired, so it was all kind of at the same time. And, you know, Daniel, I just think that if you put a couple of you just make a couple substitutions maybe again pull kaka back into the midfield push rivas up to the top or put in Baptista and, and and rivas both you know get a couple of fresh legs out there and just say go out in there and defend even if they're just out there to help you know get in the way get bodies in the way i think that's got to help hold on for those last uh, you know vital minutes i uh, i
1: agree and <laughs> i think I think it, I think it should have been done. I think whenever I said it was a mistake earlier, I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm not necessarily harping on on his decision and whether or not uh, it comes to what Andrew was saying. Maybe he was trying to make a point because there could be some things that he's seeing and in, uh, in training that he doesn't necessarily agree with. And that's his way of kind of putting his foot down, which a, a manager is going to have to do uh, at this level. Right. He's going to have that, that's really the only way that he can set s- uh, certain parameters and Um, if that's what he was doing, then, then do it early in the season, right. And go ahead and nip it in the bud. But if it was just a tactical move, like he said, after the game, uh, that's hard to agree with, right. Whenever you see, Mm -hmm. uh, no Trino was uh, really just totally out of, of form, uh, for really most of the match and, uh, dead tired after the 60th minute. And you got guys on short rest, uh, Kevin Molino, Adrian Venter, even though he was running around like a, a, a crazed man the entire night. Um, and you don't want to kind of burn them out either. Right. So put in Julio Baptista and he's a big man. I mean, you're going to have to mark him. Uh, and Carlos Rivas, you're going to have to worry about his speed on the counter. Uh, I mean, these are the things that teams think of whenever subs come in. Right. And they have to, right. it's those chess match uh, moves. And we didn't see um, Heath do that this, uh, this, this past game. And uh, was it unfortunate? Yes. Is it early in the season? Yes. Uh, did we lose a, a, a vital point? Of course. Uh, but we got a long season ahead of us. So um, there's a there's a lot of a, a lot of games uh, yet to be played. And, and I mean, we've earned a lot of points up to this point as well. We're in much better shape than we were last year at this point as well.
2: Mm-hmm. And I, All right. So I, sorry, go, I just kind go of go, go for that, too. It's like is leaving guys on a field that are completely gassed a workable tactic? I I mean, that's it. It's just (laughs) not a tactic. Like to say that you don't want to lose the shape. You've already lost the shape. Those guys aren't playing their roles.
0: They're not moving.
2: They're standing in the same spot.
0: Yeah, they can't move. It's
2: not a tactic. It's just I don't want to say it's laziness. There's just there's something going on there that doesn't make sense. You can't keep shape with a guy who basically wants to lay down and die.
1: Well, you can you can keep a standstill shape, and that's what they did for the last <laughs> fifteen minutes. So, uh, outside of three or four players, uh, a lot of our guys were literally standing still and just turning in circles.
0: Uh, well, you know if they're if they're going to do that, you're better off just lining them across the top of the eighteen yard yeah. box and just building a wall. <laughs> well, and the
2: wall didn't really last too well for the free kick because they were tired. You know, we didn't. Yeah.
0: Speaking of walls, oh, okay, my God. let's get let's get to the first of all before we get to the the big talking point of the game and and the week after. Um. Let's give our man of the match. I'm sure we're probably all in agreement that it's Adrian Venter. He had uh, a really nice goal that he, you know, he got assist by Molino, but really he set it up himself with a, you know, uh, a ball over the top of the defender, and then he got positioned and and just, you know, just a very class finish, uh, calm as you like. And uh, he had two other very, very good opportunities. He got both on frame uh, one, he tried to go over the keeper instead of, of picking out a corner, and, and Blake made a save, which was probably an easier save than he than he should have forced on that. And the last one was the Rivas cross, which Rivas probably had maybe three touches in his time on the pitch, but that one was brilliant. I mean, from the left sideline, perfectly across the, the box, onto the foot of, of Venter, who looked for all the world like he was going to tie the game up, and uh, Blake made a diving save to, uh, to preserve uh,
1: would, and that might end up being MLS save of the week. In fact, That to save their- was <laughs> insane. I mean, it, it looked like he he, he reached behind in slow time at the same time. I, I, I tried to watch the replay at least 10 times because I couldn't really figure out what happened until I saw a different view of it, and I was like, okay, that's how he actually got hands on it. So he's a sorcerer
0: and should be banned from MLS Basically, is what you're saying? Yeah, he's, yeah. Okay.
1: So did, is there any any
0: other man-of-the-match man discussion other than Venter from you guys? No, no. <laughs> okay. Pretty easy. well. That I, you know, and I have to say that maybe you know we talked a little bit earlier in the season about how Venter was a great spark plug off the bench and, and could maybe give you a half, but maybe playing all this, you know, t- all these minutes that he's been playing has has built his stamina up because he really did look sharp even in even in extra time uh, on the road after a short week. I thought that he he really held it together and he gave you energy when and where you needed it, and you know he it wasn't the best game we've
1: seen from him, but he certainly looked like he was on another level
0: than any other of the lions.
1: Yeah. With that left side of, of, of him constantly running and Breck Shea, when he's back in the lineup, if they can get uh, together and mesh and get in form, it's going to be scary uh, for, for the opposition. I'm all for that. So let's turn our
0: attention to the big talking point from this week, which is tranquilo Barnetta, his free kick and whether or not it should have counted. And, you know, Uh, Brian Dunseth was the first person that I saw bring it up about the the wall that Philadelphia built, which was between the wall that uh, Orlando City built and the goalkeeper, Joe Bendik. And the idea is that they would sort of stand there and not allow Bendik to see what was going on until just before the ball was going to be kicked. And then the idea was that the entire Philadelphia wall runs forward to make sure they're onside when the ball is kicked. Uh, They pulled it off earlier in the game, uh, not... Too much before the, the actual game winner, uh, they actually got onside, but the kick was not on target. And on the final one, they didn't even come close to getting back uh, onside. But the call stood, the goal stood, the uh, flag never came up. And even though it appeared that uh, Jair Marufo was was uh, you know warning them that they what they needed to do you know before the kick even took place. And it stood. But pro referees came out this week and said that goal should not have counted. So, Andrew, I guess, you know, obviously they're not going to overturn the goal at this point and, and change the outcome of the game. But, you know, when you look at this, the first five games, and you look at a potential point missed there, and you look at the goal that was disallowed in the RSL game, which was two points, uh, You know, two more points dropped, and the non-penalty call at the end of the Chicago game, which is two more points. Orlando City could be sitting on thirteen points and have four a record of four zero and one right now.
2: They could, but we don't. And I and I and I, I I, you know what? I'm gonna I'm actually gonna give it to Prof actually coming out and acknowledging that they were wrong.
3: You yes, know, that was good. We
2: batter them time after time on Twitter, on Facebook, all over the place. That they don't admit when they were wrong, and this time they did. Um, but I, you know, it's a learning move for them. Maybe you don't know, you say they tried, to, they pulled it off earlier in the game too. So that's something they should have been watching. So there's really mm-hmm. no excuse. The referees should be watching for that kind of. Shenanigans going on and making sure that the game is played within the rules of the game. But I think what mm-hmm. you still have to remember is that that foul probably wouldn't have happened if Nocherino hadn't looked completely out of shape.
0: Oh yeah, uh-huh. and and in fact, there was a there was another foul like. 10 yards up the field right before that happened and it was played on yeah
2: <laughs> and i think that was saran right and and like yeah you just you have those moments where you look back at something and you say that doesn't happen if that's not there and we're never even talking about having this discussion if no Chirino doesn't make that foul and i think you have to you have to kind of blame him once again about those those no substitutions leads to those types of that was a tactic that we played that blew up in our face and you could almost say that they didn't catch it that's a shame on them but really it's a shame on us for putting ourselves in that position
0: yeah and you know adrian heath has been taking to task for for not making all his subs or not using his subs or, or making them far too late in the past so this is not a new thing for him um but you know it it is an interesting thing when when pro comes out and says you know that that goal shouldn't have counted and and um you know you, obviously again you're not going to not going to change the outcome of the game. You hope that these things will, you know, sort of even out over the course of a season. But five points dropped in five games seems a little bit much to make up, even you know, with this much of the season left. Um, Daniel, should that goal have counted? And and should Marufo looked like he was talking to both the Philadelphia players and the Orlando City players? Should he have gone over and talked to his assistant to say, "Look, this is what they're doing." you need to watch for this to
1: make sure they get back onside. Should he have done that before the kick was taken? Does he need to teach a professional ref how to call a game in the middle of a game? No, I think the, <laughs> the, the AR, Peter uh, Balsunius, or whatever his name is, should have known that uh, those players were offsides. I mean, they were set up uh, deliberately in an offsides position on a, on a set piece, and the rules are clear. I mean, <laughs> Pro, I, I <laughs> believe, stated the rules earlier and, and literally said, yeah, it was a uh, a mistake, and it should not have counted. So I agree with uh, their their uh, th- the same thing. I mean, it, it shouldn't have counted. Uh, could Joe have done something about it? I know we had this argument uh, a little while ago off air, guys, and uh, I I would have liked to have seen Bendik at least uh, put effort in. But it now watching it a few more times, uh, there's not much he could have done. I mean, they had the the Game of Thrones uh, whatever the wall, ice wall in front of them. Out yeah. there. I mean, he he couldn't see the ball until it was basically already in the back of the net, which it was a fantastic free kick, but um, still shouldn't have been allowed. I mean, that's it's it's clear uh, in the rules and it's not like that's some weird rule that doesn't exist. I mean, that's something that an AR should know uh, and, and should have called it offsides. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I took a, a look at that. I, I mean, I as the guy who runs the Twitter feed on game nights, you know, I take a beating sometimes. Um, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, he didn't even try. And it was like. You know, if you watch the if you watch the replay from behind the net and where he picks the ball up, there's just no time left for him to actually even even to make a token effort. Uh, I'm not sure he gets to it, even if he sees it right off the bat, because he was he was shading to the, the goal to his right in hoping that and he built the wall so that they would protect the left his left side, and that's how he set up. He was sort of in the in the right hand third of his goal. That ball was so perfectly placed it came it, it dinked in off the post. Um, tremendous kick by Barnetta. I mean, you got like I said this the other night. You got to tip your cap. You got a, a goal of the week candidate and a save of the week candidate, and that's how you that's how you win games, you know. <laughs>
1: well, and Philadelphia is I, showing I, that right now, right? They're in they're in good yeah, form, so they're in first place. So uh,
0: in the East Eastern Conference. So so my thought was, you know, despite people saying that he should have tried, you know, my my thought is. You know, Given when he picked up the ball, there was no reason for him to try because at that point it was too late. And even if he – let's say he dives and the ball hits the post squarely, which is probably what he was hoping for at that point because there's really not much you can do except hope that it misses once you pick it up and you know you're not going to get there. Um, He dives over, doesn't come within two feet of the ball, the ball hits squarely off the post, Philadelphia in position two you know, not getting an easy rebound and he's not in a position to defend it. So I don't have a, a problem with what he did uh, at that point. You know, by the time you see where the ball is, you go, oh, no. <laughs> and that, yeah. and you just hope that it misses. And it, in that case, it did not. So um, maybe it's maybe, go ahead, maybe you
2: could allude to the fact that it's something that we kind of talked about earlier on the season. though, And it really comes down to his positioning. You know, he sets the wall, and he's really gotten them covering that far post. You know, mm-hmm. maybe he needs to be that little bit further over so he sees it a little bit earlier. I'm not trying to lay blame on his door. I, I still think it was a fantastic free kick. Um, uh-huh. I just maybe it comes down to positioning and something that we've okay. seen earlier. Okay, because it sounds on. like you, it, it, you say that, but it does sound like you're putting a little on him. We
1: always, <laughs> always got to blame somebody.
0: And well, here's the thing. You know, what have what you have to want. when you give a when you give a free kick just outside the box. It is, it's a danger, they call it a dangerous area for a reason. Um, you can only do so much. You can't cover the entire net. So what the goalkeeper usually will typically do is say, I've got this part, but if you guys, can, you know, I'll build my wall to cover that part. Now, the, the the wall does its job, then, you know, you've done it right. If and 99% of the time the wall does its job where the guy skies it over the bar. There's that 1% of the time where the guy gets the kick just right, gets it just over the wall and gets it to drop down uh, in time to you know to get into the net and and you know with the placement he put on it the, I just don't see anybody making that save it was it's really harsh for anybody to blame Bendik for that goal in my opinion.
1: Yeah, it was a great free kick and I mean should it have been called offsides? Yes. I mean we can debate that, but I think that debate is necessarily over after pro comes out <laughs> and says that yes it should have been offside. And, and to yeah. Andrew's credit about his positioning Um, I I harped on uh, on Bendik earlier in the year being not uh, he wasn't necessarily confident. And I like to see confidence in in goalkeepers. Um, I think his confidence is is raised throughout the season. um, But there are still some questions on his positioning throughout the match. Uh, And, you know, hopefully that's something he'll he'll pick up throughout the season as well. But I'm still holding on to that uh, bold prediction earlier in the year that we're going to have a different starting goalkeeper by the by the end of the season. So I'm (laughs) I'm I'm going to hug that one.
0: I hope it's not from an injury, but I, I think, I think, you know, through the first five games I've seen improvement out of Joe Bendick. I think he's played well. I don't know that I agree about his positioning, but here's what I will say. The hole in his game that I see is a reluctance to come out and take balls that come into the area from, from distance or from way out the side. I think
1: That's confidence though, right? That's, is it, is it necessarily, he, he wasn't taught that way, right? I mean, I just think I, it's, confidence. I
0: don't know that it's, I don't know that, that, that is confidence. I think that's, that's just the style that some keepers play where they're some keepers are aggressive and come out and they try to take every ball that comes in the area. Other keepers are more willing to let their defenders do the job and they'll, you know, they'll only come out when they're absolutely sure. And, and, you know, it it just all comes down to your mindset. Now I think that um, Andre Blake is a very aggressive goalkeeper and he will come out and and try to get every ball, you know, that he thinks he could get to uh, in a very athletic guy. I think, I think that Bendick is maybe just a little less aggressive, and I'd like to to see him become a little bit more aggressive because there were a few balls that came in from from well outside the area that I thought he could have got to first, and then ended up being a little bit nervy because they they b- bounced around a little bit. I, I thought that, and I don't want to go through every position, but I thought Aurelian Collin had a pretty tough game, even though his his stats were good as far as clearances and 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 uh, tackles. I thought that he was.
1: Um,
0: he was scaring the hell out of I mean, thought? That
1: way. <laughs> who would have thought that we would say the drop-off from Tommy Redding to Aurelia Collin would be such a, a large drop-off? I mean, I, it, it is totally different. Andrew, do you see the same thing?
2: Oh, without a doubt. I, you can't believe that one guy has almost lost how to defend. Like, how it's just <laughs> fallen out of his, like, his toolbox. Like, I, I don't know. You just can't believe that it's where we're at. Like...
0: Yeah, I would have bet any almost any amount of money that I could have got my hands on that he would have been a starter this year, and um, that if he was beat out by somebody, that he would still start next to that person. And that's not been the case, and I I can see why. <laughs> um, he had he had a very similar clearance to Ramos, but his was not handled cleanly by the Philadelphia player, and so uh, sort of dodged a bullet there. He he was scaring me, but. Um, Anyway, it's it's two to one. Philadelphia officially in the books, and that's the way it's going to go down. Orlando City in three games has not beaten the Philadelphia Union. Go figure. A team that is two and zero against the Portland Timbers cannot beat the Philadelphia Union. So, um, I guess Mala. we just we just need them to move to the Western Conference, and we'll be fine um,
1: <laughs> or win a title.
0: <laughs> Speaking of the Western Conference, uh, let's turn our attention to the Orlando Pride, who is about to go to the West Coast and play the Portland Thorns in their first ever match on Sunday night, 10 o'clock Eastern time. So, you know, by the time you get home, get the kids to bed, grab a beer, uh, it'll be just about time to watch Alex Morgan and Ashlyn Harris and Leanne uh, Sanderson and, and all of the Orlando Pride take on uh, what has got to be a favorite for uh, the NWSL title in uh, in 2016. Uh, Andrew, let me start with you. What do you expect to see out of this match from the Orlando pride. I mean, it's, you look at the talent on both teams and you see a very similar talent level, but one team has been together and one team is an expansion team playing on the road in front of a, you know, a hostile crowd. How do you see this unfolding?
2: Um, I'm going to say it's going to be competitive. I mean, you just talked about the strength of squads across both sides. Um, the the unknown factor is just how well obviously the thorns have undergone some changes this off season too but they brought in a lot of great talent and they did manage to retain a pretty good core roster um, whereas we're basically starting from scratch we've really not seen Samani coach a game like that's worth anything right now um he's mm-hmm. got a lot of experience obviously that's why we picked him up but we haven't seen him in this kind of environment for a while the thorns are coached by a really great coach um, they have a lot of extreme talent and i think they just did such a great job of letting people go like alex morgan but able to really pick up the people for the future as well as right now um i see it being a, I'm, I'm gonna say it might be a bit more of a blowout than we're expecting. Um, I, I am probably tipping the Pride to lose three hmm, nil.
0: No goals, huh? Wow. All right, uh, Daniel. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this question. Uh, I think by the end of the season, what we'll see is that the strength of Orlando Pride is the defense, the back line. You've got four international players across the back. Uh, Jose Belanger. And, um, you know, the Brazilian, Monica, and then the the, uh, the two Australians, Alloway and Steph Catley, that to me looks like, you know, you've got four world-class uh, players on the back line. That looks like it's going to be the strength of the team. But that said, this is the first game, and those four have not had a lot of time together. Uh, do you – and let's, let's face it, the Thorns have a, a number of good attacking players – you know, Andrew's three nothing prediction might not be far off. Do you see this this back line, you know, as individuals able to come together and, and just put together a monumental effort in their first game? Because you know they're going to be they're going to be psyched to to be playing the inaugural uh, game for the Pride.
1: Well, th- yeah, they're going to be psyched. Uh, they are. Do we have a keeper that can probably control the game if she's getting shots thrown at her the entire time? Yes. Are we traveling across the country to play? Probably. What I see. Uh, the second best roster outside of Orlando, uh, in the NWSL. Yes. And this team has played well together and they have Sinclair up top and they have, uh, uh, just a multitude of international players as, as we do as well. So mm-hmm. it's going to be difficult, uh, on, on our, our ladies, uh, going over there for the first match. But I mean, you're talking about Alex Morgan and Sarah Hagan and Leanne Sanderson. It's not like we can't punch, uh, at this weight, right? We can, mm-hmm. um, I don't know how many goals we put in. Was it like 30-something over – I mean, it was a ridiculous amount over the, the, the preseason and the run-up matches. <laughs> I feel like Alex Morgan was getting a hat check, hat trick every night. Um, so I don't see a nil uh, for, for Orlando traveling out there. The back line, um, you know, Alloway and, and – uh, is it B- Belanger? Is that – that's how you say mm-hmm. it, right? Um, yeah. And Monica, Catley. That, that group is going to be uh, – I want to say, just like you said, because they haven't played together and the women's game is much more uh, knowing your players next to you. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a little bit slower uh, than the men's game. Not necessarily the the same speed. Um, It's going to be interesting. I want to say two to one. Uh, I think Morgan's going to get on the on the sheet. uh, And I think Portland's going to going to end up taking it uh, at home.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, I think that. The teams to beat in NWSL, as far as I'm concerned, are Seattle and Portland. Those are the two teams that that you'd be chasing, and and there are a number of other teams in in the league that are capable of of getting up and challenging for those playoff spots. Orlando is certainly capable, uh, but you know, it's it's probably wise to temper expectations in an inaugural year, no matter how good the roster looks. I mean, we've we've seen it, you know, with Orlando City last year, and it doesn't necessarily matter how good the roster looks. You've got to build depth. You've got to build chemistry and you know, that takes time. That doesn't happen overnight. But uh, I guess the good news is most of these players have played either in this league or in other top leagues and certainly in international competition. So they won't be surprised by, you know, the, the the style of the league. Most of them won't be surprised by the travel. They'll know what's involved with it and, and, you know, just the grind of the season. And, and it'll be interesting to see uh, how Orlando does, especially with losing players for international breaks. I know that uh, the U.S. scheduled a couple of games with Japan, and there's another another two that have yet to be scheduled that they're talking about. So there'll be times when, uh, you know, the team's not going to be at full strength. They're going to have to have that depth. And I thought that Tom Sermani did a pretty good job of, of building that team. They, they released their 18 player roster earlier this week. They, they signed Samantha uh, Witteman, who I think uh, is going to be a good player for the Pride for a long time. And they did not sign their other two draft picks, but it's notable that there are two spots still uh, available on the roster to be used. And we have heard that Tom Cermani may be bringing in a fourth international. So um, we'll, that's something we'll keep our eye on as we get set to uh, to head into the NWSL season and welcome the newest team to Orlando, the Orlando Pride. So, um, uh, man, we've been going at this for a while. We're going to bring in our special guest. We're not even going to talk about the 4-1 to loss from Orlando City B up in Louisville. Um, you can go read Jeff Milby's recap uh, to get everything you need to know uh, at themainland.com. So, um, without further ado, let's, let's get to this week's special guest because uh, we're really excited about it. Okay, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, we're uh, we're very happy to have center back Tommy Redding from Orlando City SC with us. Uh, Tommy, how are you tonight?
3: I'm good. How are you doing?
0: Doing great. Uh, Daniel, Andrew, tell Tommy
1: how you're doing. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, we would have been
1: doing a lot better if you were in the lineup uh, this last game, Tommy.
3: Yeah, it was a tough one, but I think, I mean, it was just, it happened, so.
0: Well, Tommy, I want to just start off with that. Um, How's your head?
3: Good. Everything's going well. Hopefully, I'll be available for Sunday's match.
2: Well, and I guess if we can get a little bit of an expanding on that, like how has it been going through the concussion protocol? Obviously, it's something that's been a big issue. It's gotten to grow in soccer. Um, How's it been going through from it from the player's perspective?
3: Uh, I think it's been going well. I mean, there's a lot of precautions and stuff you have to go through nowadays, and it's all pretty pretty simple and easy. So going through it has been going really well.
1: Well, on, on that note, too, also missing games due to injury now. Uh, you were in the starting lineup before that. How was it uh, being able to get on the field and actually have an impact on the game? Uh, the season, did you feel more confident going into the season than you were last year? And uh, how do you see yourself uh, coming back into the fold?
3: Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me uh, this year is just the confidence piece. Uh, Last year was a big eye-opener for me, just uh, how different it is to play in the MLS compared to the USL. And I think I use a lot of things I learned last year to drive me and motivate me this year. And uh, it's been great to be able to help the team perform well this season.
0: Obviously, you came in uh, when, when uh, Mateos got hurt. Uh, you, you stepped right in, and, and the team didn't really miss a beat. How is your partnership with Seb Hines sort of progressing? And, and you know, obviously, uh, the, the injury kind of maybe derailed some momentum there. But uh, just just tell us how, you know, it was working with Seb and getting uh, to build that partnership with him.
3: Yeah, I think it's been getting better every, every game and every day we practice together. Uh, first game of the year was... I think the first time him and I have ever really played together. And, I mean, you could see it was some times where we weren't on the same page. And I think that's just how it is, the back line. When you don't play with people, it's hard to know what they're going to do. So as the season goes on, the more we play together, the, the better and better we're going to get.
2: Well, and I, I guess, you know, who right now, obviously you're trying to play your way back in. Who's your best back line to play with?
3: Honestly, at this point, I've played with everyone, and I enjoy playing with everyone and anyone. We've been doing a lot of backline work, and it's basically getting to a point where every single defender on the team is on the exact same page uh, just because of how we've been training and the amount of time and practice we've been putting into our defensive shape. So, At this point, I don't really have favorites. I think no matter what the lineup is, I'll be comfortable with the guys around me.
1: You know, that's, that's really good to hear, Tommy, that uh, you're comfortable to be able to play with, with many different players on the back line because in a tough season, you're going to have to do that. Um, outside of just team goals and, and being able to play with anybody on the back line, what kind of personal goals have you set uh, for yourself this year, uh, You know, having another year under your belt and, and already getting some games?
3: Uh, I think the biggest goals for me are just make sure my work ethic stays up, uh, make sure my confidence stays up, and if I do those two things, I think this season will be really beneficial for me, and it will be a big year uh, for me and my development.
0: Tommy, a lot of uh, there was a lot of talk in the beginning of the season about how uh, Adrian Heath picks his center backs, and I think that a lot of people don't understand that Adrian wants different things from his two center backs. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what he's looking for in terms of, of, uh, of the two guys he puts in the middle?
3: Yeah, I think um, the gaff. For a center-back role, he wants guys who are able to play on the ball. He doesn't want a team where we can play amazing soccer throughout the midfield and the forwards, but if it comes to the back line, then all of us are scared. We have to just lose away. So he really likes to have center-backs who are good on the ball and also just really aggressive and aren't afraid to put the bodies on the line to, to maybe just save a point or three points. So that's what he's looking for.
2: Well, and you talk about you know the start of the year was being a little bit of a confidence um, test for you. How much has Coach Heath been able to grow you as a player? You've obviously been under him for a few years now. Um, do you credit him with you becoming that better all round player?
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the past two years have been, because it's been a huge step up from playing academy soccer, straight and professional, and He's really helped me along the way, and he's taught me many important things. And the most important thing he's taught me is just because I'm here doesn't mean I'm going to get my chance to play. I mean, it just depends on how hard I work, and a lot of it is also luck. When it comes to things like this, you can work as hard as you can, but sometimes you get the lucky break, and if you're not ready, if you're not ready for it, then you can just crash and burn. Your confidence will go down. So he made sure that I keep working hard all the time, keep my confidence up and be ready whenever my name's called.
1: Tommy, uh, I want to ask you a little bit of a different question outside of the soccer field. Well, I guess out of the you know football field, but it's about FIFA. Uh, do you necessarily mm-hmm. play FIFA? Are you a big <laughs> FIFA fan? And also, are you a little upset with your 60 overall rating in the game?
3: So actually, that's a really good question because I used to be a FIFA fanatic and now, actually, that I play soccer so often and at a professional level, I don't enjoy playing FIFA as much. So I don't actually play much at all, and I don't even pay attention to the game anymore, really. So I didn't even know what my rating was. But I can't be upset with it. I mean, a young player, knew the league, hopefully throughout the year will bump up a little bit.
0: <laughs> uh, Tommy, as I mentioned to you before we went on the air, I had a, I had a talk with your dad recently. And he said that there was a moment that you came home and and you said, you know, Dad, I can I can play at this level. What was the moment Mm -hmm. that you knew you could play at the MLS level?
3: I think it was last year, towards the end of the year, after my first game when I debuted, and I was, I mean, I didn't. I honestly think that for me, it was very unfortunate that the injury happened, but at the same time. I was glad I was able to just come into the game without having to think about it beforehand. So I think I would have psyched myself out. But just being able to come into the game and contribute to a draw, and I looked at it like, hey, this is my first game ever, and I did pretty well. So I really think I can play at this level, and obviously I was 18 at the time. I thought the next couple of years are really important. So I think as long as I push myself, I'm exactly where I need to be.
2: Um. I guess a, an out-of-the-park fantasy question would be: obviously, you've started, you've had many centre-back partners. Obviously, uh, Orlando City has gone out and signed some <laughs> really big players. Who would be the centre-back of your dreams to play next to?
0: Hello. Hello. Tommy, you there? Sorry. Yeah, I cut off.
2: Um. <laughs> Uh, just in case you missed it, it was like, who who would be the center-back partnership of your dreams? Obviously, Orlando City has picked up a, a bunch of big names, but who would you really want to play next to in your career as you, as you grow older?
3: Um, right now, looking at a center-back partner, a, one guy I really love to enjoy watching is Thiago Silva. I think he is an amazing center-back, especially not being the biggest guy either. He knows how to use his body. He's a great leader, and his feet are also really good. So, so there's one guy I could play with right now and be him.
1: And Tommy, I wanted to ask a, a, a little bit of a different question. I know you know Kaká uh, just came back, and, and as a center back, it, it seems like you uh, you're, you're out there feeding the ball to these players a little bit more. Uh, how's your relationship being able to train with the first team more often and being able to get into matches with them this year? uh, Has there been somebody on the team that's actually influenced you on the field with Orlando?
3: Yeah, I think all the guys have done a great job of just helping me in my transition to become a first team player. Uh, A lot of people don't realize how different it is. I mean, you can train every day and not get minutes. And then as soon as you start getting minutes, your whole schedule changes and everything changes for you. So, All the guys have been really helping me out with that.
0: Tommy, one question I had for you based on, you know, some of the action we've seen from you thus far uh, this this season. I want to know how fast is David Akam?
3: I can honestly say he's the fastest person I've ever guarded in my life. Uh, Honestly, I, I didn't realize how fast he was until, obviously, the goal and he absolutely blew by me and Seb so there's nothing I've ever seen before.
0: (laughs) There's nothing really that you can do in in training to simulate that is there?
3: No I mean unless you have a guy who's as fast as him you don't really have a a chance to learn how to defend against it.
2: Well and you also have that you know feeling that you know, you can train against it, but when it's really happening in a game day situation where you're 60 minutes in and you need that break and then all of a sudden he still has that energy, it's, it's really difficult to learn against. But, I, you know, it's just part of the game, I guess.
3: Yeah, it is. I mean, like like I said, like the biggest thing for us on that day was just our focus. I mean, we played well, but we lost our focus for about 10 or 15 seconds and it cost us two points. So.
1: well Tommy I'm, I'm going to have to ask you a, a bold question here uh, uh, what do you have uh, for Orlando doing against New England this week and uh, do you see us getting the W
3: yeah I think it's really important for us to get the win this week and we've been training hard if we keep our defensive shape then our forwards will do everything they need to do for us and that's really important for us so I, can, I see us getting the win this weekend
0: Tommy, uh, one thing I wanted to know is, is you've, you've, you know, you've had the head injury. Um, there's, as a center back, and someone that's using your head a lot on the field, and, and someone who's going up and, and making challenges in the air. Is there anything you can do, or any protective equipment you could wear that will help you to avoid, you know, that happening again in the future?
3: Yeah, I mean, I was talking to the doctors about it. There's obviously the the head protectors. Um, I don't know exactly what they're called, but I see some guys wearing them throughout the league. Yeah, exactly. So some guys wear them, and I was talking to Dr. them. asked if I should think about getting one or not, and he said there's no science that backs up that it does help. There's no science that backs up that it doesn't help. So I think it's more of just how I feel about it, how I feel about the situation. And I think if, God forbid, something was going to happen like that again, then I would definitely really look at it as a, look at it as a potential option.
2: Well, and you're on the younger side. Obviously, Orlando City has the OCB um, USL team this year. Um, do you have any guys that we should be watching out for, hopefully being able to make the same progression that you did um, to the senior side?
3: Yeah, I think definitely one guy you really should watch for is uh, Pierre De Silva. I think he's a he's a great young talent. Uh, he When he comes and trains with the first team, you can tell he has flashes and moments where he just looks like exactly what you, what you need out of him. But he's so young, and, I mean, the future is very bright for him as long as he keeps working hard.
1: Well, I mean, that's awesome to hear that we have some young guys coming up from that Orlando City B side. Uh, and I know, I know we touched on the injury a little bit earlier and, and kind of harping back to it. Uh, when do you see yourself coming back, or is it just the time frame's really up in the air and it's, it's kind of up to the doctors and your progression?
3: Yeah, I think that mostly it'll be before this weekend. Hopefully, it will be available for the game, but like I said, it's not 100 percent yet. But uh, that's that's the goal.
0: Tommy, before we let you go, uh, just one last question. Obviously, you, you know, coming up from the USL team, uh, Kevin Molino played a big part on that team. He finally got his first MLS goal. Uh, a great, a great moment where Kaká let him take the penalty. How happy were you and, and was the team in reacting to that uh, for, for Kevin?
3: I think that was really big for Kevin. and I think that's going to give him a lot of confidence in himself. Uh, he really needed that after last year. It was a very difficult year for him. And coming back this year, he's been playing pretty well, just not finding the back of the net. And for how to give him that penalty and just let him.
0: All right. Well, I think um... – there he is. He's back again. <laughs> oh, technical difficulties tonight. That's okay. It's, yeah. it's okay. Gremlins tonight. But, you know what, Tommy, thanks so much for being with us on the Mainland Podcast. Really you know, want to wish you luck in, in not only the rest of your season and your career, but certainly with the injury and coming back from that. Uh, you know, Best of luck, and, and hopefully we'll see you on the field really soon.
3: Awesome. Thank you guys very much, and thank you for having me.
0: that's just about all the time we have on this week's mainland podcast we definitely want to thank our guest tommy redding uh center back for orlando city and uh, it was nice to hear from him and um, you know we hope his his head's okay and uh you know rafa ramos wore one of those things on his head uh, in the last game last season so maybe he can wear one of those to protect himself uh, from further damage and uh you know you don't want to see young guys get uh you know, get multiple concussions, and, and he had he had the head injury last year after the clash of heads with with Ramos. So, um, you know, that's something to be aware of and to be, you know, careful with as as he moves forward with his career. But good luck to Tommy, and thanks so much for for coming on the show, guys. Before we get out of here, we'll start with Andrew. I need to get your key matchup for the Orlando City. New England Revolution game on Sunday, 3.30 at the Citrus Bowl. What's your key matchups? And give me your score predictions. What's going to happen? Uh,
2: my key matchups are going to be for this one. I think we really kind of, what I took away from the Philadelphia game was our defensive midfield. Obviously, if Higita doesn't play, um, we're going to be a little bit weaker. Um, but I'm still going to go, it's our defensive midfield against Kelvin Rowe and Lee Wen. Um, I think they have real power to be able to upset the equilibrium that Soren and Higita seem to bring to our defensive midfield um, and if they can if we're weakened in any way I see them really being able to exploit us um, however I am going to be on the positive side of this one unlike my pride prediction and I am going to go with a 2-1 win for Orlando I think they come back home they feel it and they get the win
1: all right Daniel what do you say you know, I'm, I'm interested in seeing in a key matchup, uh, actually, our forwards uh, and then our wingers on the counter uh, against New England. I think that's a, a, an area of, of weakness for them. They've been caught this year uh, a few times, um, and depending upon who we have up top, if we go with Kakaikin or or we're putting somebody else there, if Kyle Lahren's back, um, it'll be interesting to see them getting uh, behind that, that back line and also breaking on the counter with Molino and and Venter. And, uh, I'm looking for Ventura to have another strong sewing and and I, I'm going to go with actually Orlando three uh, one against New England. I think we have a sour taste in our mouth uh, after that uh, last minute loss uh, this past week, and uh, and I see the club coming out and actually putting a, a few goals on New England.
0: Wow, see, and now I'm 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 concerned about Bobby Shuttleworth as a goalkeeper. I think he's a, a very fine MLS goalkeeper, and I think he's the kind of guy that can uh, make a difference. But I'm going to say my key matchup is it's very similar to Andrews. But I'm going to go with the back line. I think the back line needs to needs to control Agadello or Davies, whichever one plays up top, and and the the wide players as well. I think that that uh, you know having Shea back is going to help. Um, Rafael Ramos either has to step up or make way for Kevin Alston. And by the way, this is Kevin Alston's former team that we're playing, so um, it would be an interesting move if Adrian Heath played him. He starts uh, to start this game. Um, it would be it would be pretty amazing uh, if Alston played. I, I've been wanting to see him. Um, you know, we've heard about his faults from the guys uh, at the New England blog, the Bent Musket, and his flaws seem a bit similar to Rafael Ramos's. But since Rafa's been playing so poorly, I think. Uh, maybe it is time to see Alston and I, I'm, I don't know. To me, Ramos had such a howler of a game on Friday. I was really shocked that, that, that move didn't at least get made. And it's like, okay, well, let's see what you got kid, you know? Uh, Cause you went out and you got him in the, uh, the re-entry draft. So obviously you think he can play a little bit you've seen him at, you know, he's, he's been training. So, uh, you know, why not bring him on in the second half and, and maybe uh, get a little bit more, uh, going on up that right side because it seemed like the attack was never coming up the right. Uh, although the goal was scored from the right side, but that was off of a turnover. So uh, Anyway, my prediction, after uh, that long-winded way of saying <laughs> the uh, Orlando City back line against the, uh, the attacking players of New England, uh, my score prediction, last week I predicted 1-1, and stupid pro referees cost me a perfect prediction. Um, this week I'm going to say... I'm going to say 2 one Orlando city. Um, I don't, I, I think that Kevin Molino might get his first goal in the run of play. Oof. And I know I've said that before. I've, I've said it many that times bold. before. That is- <laughs> and I, <laughs> and it hasn't happened, but if I say it every single week, it's bound to happen at some point. Oh. Um, but you know, and I, again, I was taken to task a couple weeks ago for saying that I wasn't going to predict a defender would score and two defenders scored that week. So, um, So I'm still sort of uh, smarting from that a little bit, but uh, that's anyway. That's kind of my take on it. I think New England, although they played well last week against Toronto, I think that New England has been, you know, one of those teams that's been a little mercurial this year. Uh, They have four draws already, (laughs) Uh, so they're they're going to try to challenge Chicago's record from a couple years ago. Um, But you know. So if it doesn't end up 2-1, it'll be 2-2, because that's just the way that
2: things have been going for New England this year.
0: So there you have it. Oh, Andrew, you didn't say who's going to score.
2: Oh, my score? Okay. Um, who's your goal scorer? My score is um, I'm going to go with Bunbury for New England, and I am going with – I think Winter grabs another one and continues his streak going. And nice. you know what? I'm going to go Molino too, but I'm saying Freak kick. That's it. bold.
1: That's
0: bold. Oh,
2: yeah? Free kick? Yep. For, For Molino? Okay, so, so the I'll captain's not going to take it, huh? I think he, if there's something that's there, I mean, we know Molino can score free kicks. He did in USL. Hmm.
1: It's true. All right, uh, and Daniel, did you give your goal scorers? Uh, Laren, if he's back. Uh, if he's not, then uh, Kaká and, and uh, Venter. All right. All right,
0: well, that'll just about do it for this episode, number 45 of The Mainland Podcast. You can uh, see more of our coverage of this week's game and every week's game at themainland.com, T-H-E-M-A-N-E-L-A-N-D. Please go to our our podcast on iTunes, and please give us some feedback and and rate our podcast if you like what you hear, and um, follow us on Twitter, at The Mainland, and like us on Facebook. So that'll do it. Thanks again to Tommy Redding and, uh, you know, Orlando City, Orlando City B, and Orlando Pride all in action this week. I think uh, Orlando City B, I think, has Harrisburg City at home on Saturday. So that's the appetizer. Afternoon game for Orlando City on Sunday at the Citrus Bowl. That's the main course. And then the Pride at the Thorns for dessert Sunday night. And uh, we'll be back to talk about all of that next week. So on behalf of Daniel McGann and Andrew Harrison, our illustrious – columnists at the mainland i'm michael citro the managing editor signing off saying go city